Welcome to the Interfaith Business Network podcast with your hosts, Brianne White and Angie Luol. Why does interfaith leadership matter in our communities and across the globe? And how can we leverage our intersectional identities to become interfaith leaders with global influence and impact? Brianne and Angie here again. Welcome to the Interfaith Business Network podcast. We're here today with Ambassador Susan Johnson-Cook, or Ambassador Sujay, as she prefers to be called. She has an impressive career as an award-winning filmmaker, diplomat, faith leader, and entrepreneur. She has served as the Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Chaplain of the NYCPD, and Faith Advisor on Clinton's President's Initiative on Race. She also founded the Global Black Women's Chamber of Commerce. Ambassador Sujay, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your religious background, how your faith has been connected to your professional accomplishments, and what you're doing right now? Great. Well, I'm a third generation Black woman business owner, and I was born into a family of faith. My Both of my parents started a business when I was five years old in our home. So it was never a distinction between this is your faith life over here, this is your business life. We always operated with faith, integrity. I had two wonderful parents who were just good people. And so uh, faith has been a part of my life. It's in our church homes. My father was Baptist. My mother was Presbyterian. Their churches were 10 blocks from each other in Harlem. And we had two wonderful faith communities. And our, their first businesses, which was a watch guard security agency, we got a lot of our business from members of the church who referred us. They, you know, my father's uh, business used to watch the bazaars church, and, church, and church backgrounds uh, and, and bazaars in the church that the Catholic church used to do a lot um, in their parking lots and in their you know, backyards. And then we got uh, supermarkets and, you know, church members who owned supermarkets or worked at them would say, you know, use Johnson Security Bureau. And then it kind of spread. And so it was our faith community that helped us launch is my parents' faith and our family's faith that kept us grounded. So there was not a day that my parents went to bed that I didn't see them praying. My father would be on his knees praying every single night. Uh, we did everything with, we began with prayer. So for me, it was no separation of church and state and family. It was always, we, uh, in him, we live, move, and have our very being and have our profit. And so I grew up in a very great world that was very balanced. And so I love it. Amazing. Um, and tell us, how has your faith been connected to your professional accomplishments? Having grown up in such a faith-based family, did that influence you as you were starting your career and as you've moved throughout your career? Oh, being in a faith community or being a faith-based leader and member of a community, a household that prayed was the glue, um, you know, that grounded me. There was nothing I did without prayer. Um, there was nothing I did that I need, didn't need prayer for. Uh, and there's some days you need to pray for yourself. And there's some days you would call up people and say, you know, I need the prayer chain, the prayer warriors to really go in my behalf. You know, with the ambassadorship, I was ambassador for international religious freedom. And that meant not just representing Christians all over the world, but representing whatever faith of believers or non-believers. So there were agnostics, there were atheists, those who determined whatever they believed or didn't believe. And so there were times that, you know, I was going into worlds that were very different than Christianity. And I was in planes every other week going across the globe, 24-hour, 30-hour trips to places, Uzbekistan and Afghanistan and all those places. 
And so I, I needed prayer professionally, first for traveling mercies, prayer that I would make good decisions. You know, there's a proverb that says, um, in all thy ways, acknowledge him and acknowledge God and God will direct your paths. Well, I needed my paths directed. You know, some were assignments and then they're assignments by humans. And then I, I believe we live in an assignment from God. And so I wanted to always be discerning that I was in the right place with my professional skills and abilities, but also in the right place where God could use me uh, to be his instrument in this world. So I've never been a woman separated from faith. In fact, all of my businesses, we start and end in prayer. And so it's not foreign to us. Any, any um, events that are going to be at my home, whether that's a fundraiser or a dinner or a book signing, people know we're going to start in with prayer. And so it's part of our culture. And I'm, it's fabulous for me that I can be a, and I'm also a faith-based writer. So all of my books, the genre is faith-based inspiration or empowerment, uh, particularly of women of faith. So I have been very, very blessed uh, to be surrounded by, covered by prayers and in the world of faith all of my life. Ambassador Sujay, I'm just really impressed by everything that you've done. And I can tell as you're speaking that that beauty of being a person of faith just shines through as you speak. I wanted to ask you about Charisma Speakers, of which you are president and CEO. So you've mentioned you have multiple businesses and you just mentioned being on a plane, traveling from country to country. So what would you say are the top three things you know now about working cross-culturally that you wish someone had told you at the beginning of your career? So first, let me just say all that traveling, that frenetic, very full calendar was pre-COVID. So pivoting out of COVID. We are streamlining it because, you know, with Zoom and other technology now, go to meetings, all of that, I can talk to people across the planet um, that I could not reach and sometimes couldn't even reach by phone and certainly couldn't get to in person. So that's one of the things I wish I had known now that technology was going to be so advanced that I could do it from my living room or my dining room and still get the same effect and impact. The second is, you know, I grew up, I'm a boomer, so I grew up pre-technology, I mean, even pre-cell phones, so that when 9-11 happened, I'm, I'm the front lines, I'm a New York Police Department chaplain, the only female chaplain on the front lines, but we had kind of walkie-talkies and beepers. We didn't even have a cell phone to say, let me call back to headquarters. So we had a phone, a phone in our bedroom, which is when headquarters called us and said, you know, we need you to get down to ground zero. So uh, I wish I had known how advanced technology would have been. But I think everybody is born for their season. I don't regret being a boomer. In fact, I'm very seasoned and I have life lessons that Gen Z and millennials don't have and Gen Xs don't have. Um, Also, probably I wish we could have learned about consolidation and collaboration a lot earlier. Being a trailblazer, uh, particularly in ministry, as a woman in ministry, as a Black woman in ministry, there were no role models. And so we had to literally blaze a trail And with that, a lot of people burnt out. And so a lot of my writing came from those experiences because many of my contemporaries who started with me are all deceased. And that was because they didn't know boundaries. They didn't know how to, whether they were black, white, Christian, non-Christian, there were no females before us. And so burnout is a terrible thing. You know, you can't always bounce back. And so when I wrote the book, Too Blessed to Be Stressed, Words of Wisdom for Women on the Move, 
I was writing that as words that I wish, scriptural steps that I wish I had had before me, but certainly to leave a legacy so that those who followed me didn't have to blaze the trail, but they could walk and pave the trail that I had blazed. And so I think that that's really important that we not just go forward, but we leave legacy so that those who follow don't have to repeat the same lessons. And that we learn, we can have reverse mentoring. As much as we give to the Gen Zers and to the millennials and the Gen Xers, we can also receive from them. And to not feel like one generation has it all, because none of us do. Uh, We just have different experiences. But when we put all of those together, it's amazing. In the Christian tradition, there's a story of a little boy, a little lad who had five loaves and two fish and was able to feed these 5,000 adults who had come to hear Jesus preaching and teaching, but they hadn't prepared with lunch. And when you put his lunch together with their experience, you know, you can have amazing miracles happen. And you place that in the hands of our Lord, miracles happen. And so it really is the coming together of generations. And I think that that's going to be our success going forward, coming out of a pandemic, is that we all were on pause. You know, we all had to learn one of these technologies, Zoom, GoToMeeting or something, we all had to take the time and reflect and talk to each other um, and not try to live in isolation, even though the events were isolating, but how do we create community? And I think that that's going to be the question, whether we're on the job physically or whether we're behind the screen such as this and talk, but we're going to have to continue to create community because There was a song when I grew up in camp, it said, no man, or I will say no woman is an island. No man stands alone. Each one is important to the other. And we're not islands. The part of the human experience is to experience the diversity of one another and socialization and to go places you haven't gone before and invite others to places they've not been. And when we put that together with our faith, then we have a really, really great world. I love hearing you talk about being a trailblazer, but also now um, looking at other generations and how we can build community. So Angie and I are both millennials and we have benefited so much from the boomers and Gen X who, you know, so many women were the trailblazers and were the first in their field. And hopefully Angie and I are helping to pave the path behind you. Um, But I love this idea of building community together across the generations and, and seeing what everyone has to offer to build this community. I um, wanted to ask you a little bit more about being a trailblazer. What was it like being the first female chaplain at the New York Police Department? And what advice do you have for other folks who may be the first at their jobs or who are tasked with promoting the well-being of diverse individuals at work? You know, um, well, being the first female chaplain in NYPD, which had been an all-male bastion, which had been predominantly Catholic priests, uh, they weren't ready for a Black woman Baptist pastor. Coming into the State Department uh, as the first female, first faith leader, first Black woman, Black person to be the U.S. ambassador at large for international religious freedom, they weren't ready for a Black Baptist woman. And so in each place, it was the startling, uh, if there's a word, the startlization uh, that happened because people were like, ooh, this isn't really what we had in mind or who we had in mind. So when we got past that, it's sort of like, but yeah, I'm here, I'm credentialed and I'm ready. So let's create a relationship across the aisles, across the generations, across the denominations. Let's talk. And I think once we got past that, I'm startled. And how did she get here? And who gave, whose ring did she kiss? And 
You know, like how did she get in the room when we didn't give her permission? Once we got past all of that, then there's a respect level because I am not your sub person and you are not my superior. We are colleagues. And doing that takes a little work and it takes a little time and it takes a little temperament, which is what we call maturity. Because, you know, New York has three languages. It's English, Spanish, and cussing. And so you have to make sure that you reel all of that in and that you find common ground, a common language, a common ground. So we are all faith leaders, respected by our denominations, respected by our congregations, respected by our tribes. And so how do we make this work for the city of New York so that we all shine, we're all better? And I think, you know, you have to just constantly work at it. You have to constantly pray at it. You have to count to a thousand so that you don't use language that's not flattering and you have to be able to go forward. And I think that that really makes the difference. You have to be able to go in every room, whether they're ready for you or not, because I believe God gets the atmosphere ready for you. The question is, are you ready to walk through the doors that have been opened for you? I loved that Ambassador Suji. I'm just going to repeat it um, because I loved it so much. God gets the environment ready for you. So from your perspective as the faith advisor on the National Initiative on Race and the ambassador at large for international religious freedom, why is it important to bring faith, belief, and religion into the conversation about diversity and inclusion across various sectors and at a global scale? Oh, that's a big question. Well, you know, the faith, particularly in my culture, the faith community is the only place that we gather regularly where you get consensus. It's a worship experience, of course. It's a religious, spiritual experience, but it's a cultural experience so that you have the leaders of our community intergenerationally gathered together on a regular basis. Before it was in person, now it's via Zoom, but those are our influencers. And you have to hear all voices and you have to be able to be exposed to all kinds of decision makers and influencers. So it's important that in in those roles, advising president, Clinton with the president's initiative on race, and then advising President Obama with the ambassadorship and advising the police commissioner uh, with the chaplaincy. All of those say that I'm bringing my faith culture to the table. I'm not asking permission, nor am I apologizing, but not only do I represent a culture, but I represent people who come very frequently together And so you need to hear our voices just as we need to hear yours. And so having a faith community has meant all the world to me. And it allowed me to then advise two presidents of the United States who have their perspective, but I also bring a unique perspective, female, African-American, Christian, leader, pastor, all of those play into what's needed to move forward. You cannot just have a political voice. You cannot just have you know, a Christian voice. You have to have the voices that blend together because that's what makes up the world. And so being raised in a city like New York that has diversity at its core was very good for me. I never had to figure out that there were people different than myself. What we were always doing, my playmates and I, I lived in a high-rise apartment, 17 apartments on each floor of a 20-story building. And so on, on my floor, there were 11 different nationalities out of 17 apartments. So we grew up as playmates, not that this is my Afghanistan playmate and this is my Puerto Rican playmate and this is my Caribbean playmate. 
we were all, all the teenagers in the same age group, we ran together. All the older people, the young adults, they went. And so we grew up as neighbors and friends. And, you know, we translated each other's culture. If you were having a wedding and you did it this way, and I was having a wedding, we tried to understand each other's cultures. You know, I was invited to a Hasidic wedding and, you know, an Orthodox Jewish wedding. And so I had, they explained to me all the way, what were the different rituals? So it was not a diminishing, it was an understanding. And I think that that's what the difference is. When we can understand each other's cultures, we don't have to adapt to them, but we have to respect them because that's what makes them flow. And that's what makes me flow. And Uh, It can be really wonderful when we do it together. I think one of the big things uh, when I was starting to pastor, we used to do a Jewish uh, Christian Passover Seder uh, around because Passover and Easter were always so closely aligned on the calendar. And so having a rabbi and a pastor uh, usually was a white male back then and a black woman, you know, doing what they did with the lamb and us understanding how we talk about the Lamb of God and just, you know, seeing the visual of it and then the experiencing it for our congregations was so rich. So it's, you have to have diversity. And what we formed in New York City was called the Partnership of Faith in the City of New York. But it was imams and rabbis and pastors, males and females, every ethnic group, And we decided we wouldn't just talk about the problems of the city. We would find interfaith solutions and we would also experience each other socially. So if we were going to have a banquet or a dinner, we had to understand we couldn't do that during Ramadan if we wanted the Islamic uh, imam to participate because they were fasting. If we were on our high holy days, then we couldn't do it because it may be a Christian high holy day or a Jewish high holy day and to respect that. And what it did was we began to socialize together. Um, there was an exchange of pulpits. So you would have a rabbi in a, in, in a mosque and, and vice versa. And, all. and what we found was that we became friends. It was like, yeah, I like you. I didn't know much about your faith. But I like you. And so we were well connected. And that led into our political life, our private lives. If we needed something on that side of town, call Imam so-and-so, call Rabbi so-and-so. And we began to be connectors. In a city like New York, we have 8 million people. It helps to have leaders of diverse persuasions who can be voices together collectively. So I've just been so blessed to be in a place. And I think that prepared me for U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, where I had 199 countries in my portfolio. And like, as I said before, where I had to have everyone at the table, not just Christians, Muslims, and Jews, who are the the religions that you hear most about, but what about the Baha'is and the Uyghurs and, and the Yazidis? And how do we represent all these communities? And I was like, wow. You know, like my life story, my diversity, my faith journeys, plural, really helped me be prepared for this position. And I was just really in the right place, right time, the right woman for the job. And I've just been so blessed by that experience. I love hearing the work that you've done in all the communities that you've been in, that you've interacted with to really build community through all these different identities. 
And you've talked a bit about your, both your religious identity and also your racial identity as a Black woman um, and how that has sort of shown up in the workplace and how you've been able to interact with people because of that. What advice do you have for other women of color and, and women of faith with entrepreneurial aspirations like yourself? What challenges do you think they can expect to face on their journey and how can they overcome them? So I didn't say it was easy. I said, you know, I was able to do it. I think trailblazing has its toes and its toils and its trials. There can be triumphs if you're able to last long enough, um, if you're able to be respected and respectable enough. Um, but there, sexism is real. Racism is real. Going into a chaplaincy is the first female, it, it wasn't even whether it was black or white, but the first female period in a place where there had been older men, like I said, who had pretty much ruled. Um, that whole division was not easy. It took a minute to gain their respect. But fortunately, I had the respect of the mayor of the city of New York and the police commissioner. So my first piece of advice is be prepared whether that's academically, credentially, be prepared with your backup. In, in the uh, government world, we call it your protectors. You have to have some people who are looking out for you as you're going into these new worlds. And so first thing is have protectors. Second thing is be prepared. Find a mentor who's been the, to the places that you'd like to go, whether that's in business or working for someone and really just guide you for that environment. Ambassador Sujay, thank you for all of that great advice. I do want to ask, you know, you're currently working with the Global Black Women's Chamber of Commerce. You mentioned a book that you wrote, a video that you worked on with Brian Grimm and Paul Lambert at the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. Where can our listeners learn more about your work and connect with you? Well, great. Thank you for asking, Matt. So drsujay.live, D-R-S-U-J-A-Y.live is my website. And as we are doing these various videos, we will be uploading them to there. But I have a YouTube channel, which people can see most of the interviews I've done in the last year. It's youtube.com slash ambassador Sujay. And Sujay, again, is spelled S-U-J-A-Y. And if you put that in, all of the things I've done, State of Black Women that we did for the Global Black Women's Chamber of Commerce, where we interviewed women worldwide about business ownership, live with Sujay interviews about business, about faith, uh, with the Black Women in Ministry program, about other business leaders. So I would say those are two, and I'm certainly on LinkedIn as Ambassador Susan Johnson Cook. So those are the best places to find me. And then when you send me a little message, I may say, send me an email, or I may say, send me a DM. But those are the best places to find who I am, what I've been doing recently. LinkedIn, youtube.com slash Ambassador Sujay and drsujay.live. And I'd love to uh, work with you or hear from you. And it may, be, it may not be the next day you get a response, but you will hear back from us. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and we'll make sure that those links are in the show notes so that people can connect with you. One last question we have for you before we let you go. Uh, not all of us will have the global influence that you've had in your career, but all of us can work within our own communities to make a difference. What's one thing our listeners can do today to make their companies and communities more inclusive of people with diverse backgrounds and identities? You know, not make it a project, not say like today, I got to talk to two black people and one Indian person. Because when you do that, you're, you're living in these silos and this isolation. But 
if I'm in the lunchroom and it's lunch break time, you know, may I sit with you? Something as simple, may I sit with you? Or would you like to join me? Um, starts there. In this digital space, it's having more conversations like this, but broadening your list. You know, you know who's in your constant contact and who's in your Google Sheets, but, you know, invite someone who may not have been. Um, I totally encourage people to go to Global Black Women CC, which you see over my logo here. And we have an intergenerational diverse group of, of women who are interested in helping Black women business owners. And we meet regularly because it's about resources, it's about opportunities, and it's about networking. And if you do the same things you always did, the same way you always did them, you'll get the same results you always got. But if you broaden and just do one thing differently, you know, join the Global Black Women Chamber of Commerce. If you do one thing differently, invite someone to a Zoom, some things will happen for you and your world will open up just as my world opened up going to 109, well, having 199 countries, but having a staff that was diverse and representative of this world and then going to 29 of those countries where, of course, you, I've never been to some of them, but you better believe when I got there, I was prepared and I was open to new cultures and new ideas. Thank you, Ambassador Sujay. It was a true pleasure speaking with you today, and we can't wait to keep moving this work forward at the intersection of religion and business. Thanks for listening to the Interfaith Business Network podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and follow at InterfaithBiz on Twitter. That's InterfaithBiz. You can also join the Interfaith Business Network on LinkedIn and Slack. Thank you to Interfaith Youth Corps for funding this podcast, to Jefferson Dayhouse for mixing, editing, and producing this episode, to Joshua Wolk for his graphic design, and to our friends at the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation and AI and Faith for their partnership and support. Learn more at interfaithbusinessnetwork.com.